Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We move along in Roland Garros into the second week, into the fourth round, go the big three. Uh, a victory by Novak Djokovic over Ricardis Barankis in straight sets. Rafael Nadal over Cam Nori, also straight sets, all three six threes. Federer had the most troublesome time, as been as has been the case throughout the entirety of the opening three rounds, but gets through the 27-year-old German kept for 7-6-6-7-7-6-7-5. We will hit on all that. And then um, the three all play the, the best of Italy. It is Italy versus the big three. I can already s- tell you that will be the title of the next episode of three. I already know what the title is going to be. It's going to be the big three versus <laughs> Italy. I can tell you that right now. Let's start with Novak Djokovic. I feel like the story here is that there's very little story. He gives us very little to talk about. There has been no drama. There has been no fuss, no mess. Right, Joel? Oh, he's just playing so well. And again, Barankis is like, oh, that's a mini me. I know you. He's got Barankis under lock and key. And I watched some of that. I watched that match and saw how well Novak just so balanced, just so in control. Um, also, his his agility. I mean, I think we're going to be in the years to come looking at so many things that made Novak great. And again, his agility and uh, saw some pretty good touch today. Um, just, but not troubled at all. Mm-hmm. It was a match of quick work and and short points um he won winning percentage on first serve 88 percent to Brankus's 58 percent uh served 63 percent of first serve in which is right in the perfect wheelhouse and in zero to four rally length he was 52 to 31 and mm-hmm. uh, i mean it, it's just he finished him off quickly and even within the points he was finishing him off quickly And part of that is his return. It's not just the first strike tennis, but it's the neutralizing the opponent's first strike tennis. It's a stat that he's great at. It's also the same stat, the very stat that he needs to turn around if he's going to beat Nadal on clay because two matches in a row, he's been destroyed in in the zero through four points. So I guess the question is, uh, how can he do that? But first serve win percentage for the tournament I have in front of me, 86%, 75%, 88%. He is, uh, again, like he's kind of in Australia mode where it's like it's the it's the classic Djokovic where he's so competent from the baseline and he moves so well. But then he's he's beginning to really play what what we would traditionally think of as big man tennis. Um, but he's not really a big man. So it's a dangerous version of of Djokovic right now. And I'm looking forward to uh, the, the Musetti test, which we'll get to later. Anything else to add? on Djokovic Barankis before we move on? Well, just uh, when you said that about, it's almost like the Australian Open, Roger Federer said that the courts are playing fast. Mm. So um, isn't that interesting that maybe at the moment the courts are a little bit more hard court-ish 
So that could portend something interesting in a potential semifinal. So yeah, it's interesting. So they're playing like a, it's playing like an Australian court for Novak. Rafa, it's his clay. It's literally his clay that he's won so much. And Roger had a match today that was almost kind of Wimbledon-like in its four overtime sets. So all these tie breaks and seven five. So they each got their kind of like helping of their favorite of their ice cream flavor. Right. Well, uh, this is the first Roland Garros with Wilson balls in the springtime. Last year was the first with the Wilson balls, but it was in October when it was cold. So, uh, but you, you know, it's been amazing this tournament. And I know that this is like a known fact about clay, but it is so much slower at night than it is in the daytime. And then when it rained in the Pass match, suddenly Isner's serve wasn't looking as fast as it was in the first set. As soon as it rained, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Rafa, yeah. Rafa Nadal, um, three, six, three sets uh, against Cam Nori. Do you know what I love about this matchup? Nori matches Nadal for effort, which not a lot of players can do. Just doesn't match him for skill. Yeah, I, it, they kept talking about on the telecast how Nori, just to get his base level fitness, would bike and and swim and run and and that was like before the tennis and all I could think was you know he did this for like weeks and weeks and weeks and this is what happens to him against Rafael Nadal well yeah but well be glad that this that he goes this far and this is what happens and this is the legacy this is the legacy of the greatness this is uh whether it was uh Jimmy Connors and the intensity, Yvonne Lendl and the fitness. I mean, this is what the great ones do. They, they compel everyone to see, this is what you got to be if you got to play with us. You want to play with us. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to beat us. Yeah. And, and Nadal, yeah, Nadal, again, it's, it, I think both uh, Djokovic and Nadal played opponents today who's like, oh, yeah, you're kind of like me. You know, like Varenkis is this kind of two-hander, pretty kind of solid, but not as good as Novak. And here's Nori, who's left-handed and, does some things with the ball, but again, these guys are just so, so good and so comfortable. And, and again, over the best of five format, again, that's that aids the more experienced player who understands the emotions and the ebbs and flows. We talked uh, about the, the lefty on lefty thing. Mm -hmm. um, I found the Nori heavy topspin cross-court forehand to Nadal's forehand. I think there was like a little bit where that was strange for Nadal. It looked like he doesn't normally feel that shot. And then he, he really got the hang of it. But when you think about it, Nori's topspin forehand is going to have a lot more revolutions than most backhands, righty backhands that he faces with all that loop. So I did think there was a twinge of like, okay, this is a little bit weird when Nadal was, was hitting, um, you know, that lefty to lefty dynamic. That's what the lefty lefty thing is, is awkward because you're used to getting the yield off the one hand, off the backhand, even if it's a two hundred backhand, it's flat. It's not mm -hmm. topped. So, so Nadal is probably used to kind of a, the ball bouncing to a certain part. There's a little different than it coming up and, and the whole angle factor. And, so yeah, my my cross court forehand's not not hurting you. It's I'm used to hurting a righty forehand. Yeah, it's kind of a little uh, beguiling. Nori's backhand had zero spin on it, though. I don't even know how that thing 
across the net. I mean, that that's one of those uh, players that the um, differential in RPMs and maybe even pace backhand to forehand is wide. It's a wide gap. So for me, that kind of player is very difficult to play. But R Rafa handled it you know, really well. The only thing was there was something going on with the time again, and he got a little testy about it after the match, I guess. He talked about it. He talked about how you know, we don't have ball boys, that the towel, the towel is very far. Um, so, and then he says, I think he was trying to speed up the situations. Uh, he was throwing his ball bad for 20 times. So uh, Nadal was kind of smiling when he said that, but I think I think okay. we're moving towards something is going to go on in the pandemic, the post-pandemic world with the players in tournaments. This is, hey, wait a second. But the time clock can't be quite what it is. So we've got to figure out something else that's going on here with the towel and timing. Is it five more seconds? Is it something, you know, there's also something going on with some of these matches where they, um, the changeover breaks are 60 seconds because they're not TV instead of 90 seconds. So there's a lot of stuff that everyone, and, and it's funny. It seems kind of, well, what's a few seconds here, a few seconds there, but you know, these are professionals. You know, these guys are so used to all the right things. I mean, it'd be like, uh, what, I'm looking at my keyboard and oh no, the, the, the shift key is located there. We just moved it. You know, so all these little things that these guys are used to having such fastidious control over, that's what makes them champions are a little bit in flux. And we can, I can almost guarantee there's gonna be some talk with the ITF, ATP about, okay, What's the deal with towels and points? And particularly once crowds return, but the crowd is yelling, we played a long point. How do I get my towel? The ball boy's not gonna get my towel. I gotta recover. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, my whole thing with the rule is that the returner deserves a certain amount of recovery time after the point. They just played a harrowing point too, potentially. So, you can't have the server rush to the line and expect the returner to be there that quickly as well um, and then have the server delay and bounce the ball 500 million times. It's just too much in favor of the server in that dynamic. But then also the things with the towel, the towel is gonna add things to it because you can't have the ball can get the towel. So you gotta get the towel. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, 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 yeah. There, there, there are loads of issues. I agree with you that the, right now, what's going on right now is it's not quite right, and I don't know exactly what the concoction of regulation, regulations and rules is going to need to be to make it right. Right now, it doesn't seem great, but let's make no mistake about what Nori was doing. He comes from college tennis. It is a feisty, feisty game that they play in college tennis, and he knows that his only advantage over Nadal are his lungs. He said it before the match. That's all he has. So, of course, he wants to play some speed ball. And the fact that, you know, it, it kind of goes back to Nadal has a, a, a very uh, principled way of, of thinking, okay, this is how the game should be played. This is how you respect the game. You honor the game. You play this well. Nori comes from college tennis where there's talking during the point. There are people hooking each other with lines calls, which is really not right at all. And I would completely disapprove of that in every stretch. Don't get me wrong. But, but the, they are coming from completely different worlds. Of course, they're going to clash. I like that friction, though. I think it's great. Yeah, Kepfer comes from college tennis, too. And apparently, it's okay to spit on, <laughs> on ball marks. <laughs> Didn't cost him. That cost him, though. Yeah. He, he lost, yeah but that, it cost him. That, that was weird. I don't know if he was trying to be funny 
What do you guys think? Was he trying to be funny? I think it was just funny and he was just uncomfortable. You know, it was just like, I, I wrote this in my story. I said, you know, it was a Sunday morning. The older guy was playing the younger guy. This Sunday morning was just a little after midnight, but it was the older guy playing the younger guy. And I think Kepfer was a little, at, at, at enough moments, he just kind of blinked the way the younger person does. And he blinked on that occasion, but then Federer couldn't take advantage of it well enough. I mean, I think that was a segue, segue into Federer. Federer just couldn't quite take advantage of his leads. So he kept making it harder for himself. Can I just ask one more question on the timing thing? I have one more question. Should a player be allowed to catch their ball toss? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I say yes. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about this today. Of all the wild rule changes that people want to make, like these playing lets on the serve and changing, you know, the scoring system in the sets and stuff, I'm wondering how I feel about just having to hit any ball toss. That could, could make things really interesting. Right now, I'm going to say no, but if we ever get to a point in the game where the server is being advantaged to such a point that it's just making everything boring, um, then I, I would say yes, let's consider that. Or do you think you get one? Do you get one yip per serve in other words? The thing is, it's being with the with the every time there there's an action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, or there's there's a domino effect. They put in the the shot clock right to to try to limit the time. Immediately, the players found the hack, which is oh, I'll just throw the ball toss, and then the clock just resets. And and I, I haven't done any research on this, but just from the eyeball test, I can tell there's more caught tosses now so um i don't know man i i what do you guys think on this i think i think i think it's i think it's fine i think some of these things like playing let's i don't think these things speed things up particularly too much playing let's was put in college tennis to eliminate cheating um whereas i think um i think in pro tennis i think it's fine i don't think it happens too often that people retract tosses i mean i don't know what what do you think gil yeah, I agree. It doesn't happen too often for, for most players. I mean, there are your, your oddballs. I mean, Sarah Arani catches a million tosses. And um, I, I think re- – I don't see any reason um, – I, I don't think you should be allowed. You start your serve. The toss is part of the serve. Hit the toss. Uh, in, in table tennis, I know you may not catch your toss. You must hit the ball. And uh, I wouldn't mind if you had to hit it. I think you should have to hit it. But I don't have logic behind this. This is just a feeling that I have that when you toss the ball, you should have to hit it. Do people have errant tosses in table tennis? You have to. Well, here are the rules of table tennis. You have to toss it six inches above the table. So you must actually toss the ball. A lot of American, you know, casual players won't toss it at all. That's illegal in in the real world of table tennis. And uh, yeah, you, you must hit the ball. You have to toss it. It has to, the ball, what do you mean you have to toss it six inches? Your, the ball has to go six inches or you have to, your hands has to be six inches? 
um, the ball must uh, go six inches above the table, I believe, okay. or six. Yeah. Yeah. Six inches above the table. And, and um, I believe it must be on its way down before you can hit it. Well, but yeah. So, and I think in tennis though, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I, it's, I, I just to bring the playing thing into it. I hardly ever retract a toss. What do you guys, you guys? Uh, yeah, I, I probably do it, um, once or twice a match. Sure. Do you say, do you say, sorry, Same. mate, like after I, you, you want to know something funny to get totally off topic. The only oh, time no. I, I say sorry is in doubles to let my partner know, Hey, the serve's not coming. I just caught, caught a toss. Oh, stop I don't crouching do at the net. Right. Or, or, <laughs> you know, don't try to time it on my bounce because I just, caught the toss just to let my partner know as a courtesy i don't say sorry in singles sorry. that's very kind no that's very kind to your doubles partner i like that let's move on to fetter all right this was tight this was a little bit crazy um uh, i don't know let's start uh, joel what did fetter say after the match he just spoke about how he uh, he was glad that he got a lot of good information and he learned things and this is the kind of match he needs um, and a lot of first, you know, first night session, no fans, hadn't played this person before. Um, definitely unique. I mean, I, Roger Federer press conferences, man, he, he's just amazing. He just always finds like something compelling to say. Um, and he talks about how he's still looking to find that, that form, you know, the form he to regard and these things are stepping stones. Just, just very, very thoughtful. I really like the quote that I read something about, you know, the, the big story was that there were no fans there and Roger Federer has probably never even going back to when he was a kid played in a in an environment like that. And if you were watching the match, I mean, just his demeanor was he was sad um, and he really had to battle his own, um, you know, mentality to, to get through this match but he said in the in the post uh press conference he said something about i just kept thinking of all those fans watching on tv watching some tennis on a saturday night and i wanted to play for them i mean I that, 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 now that look is that, that is that is that is great and i'm all for i i find that very sweet and and nice but at the same time I think that if nobody was watching on TV, Roger Federer probably would have competed to a certain extent. Uh, you know, and I, I, again, I totally appreciate the fact that he was out there with no crowd in, I thought, I thought his legs were probably feeling it a little bit. It was very late at night, an inspired opponent. And yeah, he competed. He focused, he had grit. It was admirable, but I'm not surprised. And, um, you know, these are very, very, very competitive people. All three of our big three, I think would go out there and compete as hard as they can because they hate losing tennis matches to other human beings. Absolutely. I saw your, yeah, I saw this is an expanded version of your, of your tweet. I saw your tweet is yeah. perfect. I liked it. This reminded me, um, of his match with tennis Sandgren at the Australian where he's playing this young guy who it wasn't Federer's power that took him through this match. I mean, sure, he hit his court openings when he had them, but this was this was guile and consistency and some defense and a young guy not quite able to kind of like grab it when he needed to and he blinked at some key stages. I mean, very late in the match. Um, you'd see Federer was serving a 2-1 40-15 in the fourth set. 
So you think, okay, here we go. He loses that game. And then you can almost see the energy go and as if Federer's thinking, okay, I'll just keep holding. We'll get it to the tie break. And then that'll happen. Kind of like a Wimbledon match. And Kupfer mm-hmm. was serving at uh, five all, 15 love, comes to net, has this overhead. And instead of hitting the lefty overhead on the long line, you know, angle, he's a right back to Federer. They're kind of a, oh, yeah. oh, besides the lob, the Federer lob was probably going out. Yeah, yes. that was the point of the match although, right there. Although you got to hit it. You, you got to hit it. Well, I guess you got to hit it, but you don't hit it straight back to the guy. You don't hit it straight. You hit it angled inside yeah. out. So you, and, and even if he gets it, he's got a long way to go. But so a little bit of, right. a, of a youthful mistake. And yes. that was enough. And that was kind of the blink. And then uh, amazing, Federer, by the way, amazing stab by Federer. And then he got it really low, made the volley difficult. Like it was also, it, wow. I mean, talk about a 99.9% chance Federer loses that point and he wins it. Go on. That's right. Yeah. And so then he, and then, and then that Federer wins, uh, goes up 40 love, breaks serve and goes up 40 love and, and yeah. wins it at 40 15. But yeah, right. That was the, that was the a key point because it seems, okay, well, it looks like we're headed to a tie break here, aren't we? Yeah, well, Federer was kind enough not to head to a tie break in that one uh, in the third set because uh, the way the French Open does it, right? <laughs> so, you mean um, in, the, in the decisive set, or yes, yes. yeah, so, right. So also, I mean, I mean, uh, Kupfer was up uh, in the third set. He was serving at four three. You know, there are all these little moments, and th- those I think that's what really takes a lot of the energy is that when you can't consolidate a lead, it's like oh. Back to square one. You know, Federer got help. There's That's no right. doubt about it. He, he got he got a lot of help, but he, he, you should get help when you play world number 60 and you're Roger Federer. You're going to get some help, I think. He gave um, help, too. He gave help. I mean, so yes. Federer couldn't take advantage. He had a set point early in the first set at, uh, and missed a backhand passing shot. It wasn't that easy a backhand passing shot. And then he yeah. went to the tiebreak. Lots of kind of like, okay, start over, start over, keep going, keep going. Just on this, the- just on the stat sheet. Sorry to interrupt, Gil. Um, neither, uh, well, neither guy I thought served particularly well for serve. Um, Federer did not get a lot of typical free points on serve, um, like he did in the previous match. Um, Kepfer really dominated the zero to four which is surprising, um, 90 to 72, uh, and, and Federer still won the match. Um, but Rogers net points won 72%, 48 out of 67. And Kepfer on the drop shot, one out of 19. He won one out of Well, that, that wasn't, well, uh, it's not, it's not points one though. It's, uh, that means he hit one winner out of his 19 drop shots, that one of them was a winner. Hmm. Oh, so the other 18, he might have even won the point. He could have won some of those without a, points. Without a winner. He could have. Okay, okay. That, yeah. Then that's the way Infosys is keeping that stat. That's a bad way to yeah. do it. Because you yes, really need is. to account for outcome. Right. 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 Because it, right. Right. Okay. And if he, right, maybe he passed him or maybe, or maybe, or maybe what, whatever happened. Yeah, that's, uh, that's. Well, let's go back to net points one. Um, 72 percent he still got it roger still got it yeah. at the net well the nets thing is good the net and he, and he did it a lot he came yeah. up but the um the serving stuff i mean you wouldn't expect Federer to get nearly as much service traction at at night on clay right yeah i mean there's about right. six degrees out there 
But that so, just goes yeah. to show you when you take that element away from him, it becomes a lot harder, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, well, guys, th I threw 117 serves, first serves. I had my eye on this number. Against Chilich, that was his total number of first serves, and he hit 16 aces. And versus Kepfer, with the same number of serves, he hit four aces. Now, he finished with more for the match because um, he hit more serves. But I, I, I thought that was uh, very striking. And then you, you think about Federer's recent losses in majors that were that were a little bit sur uh, surprising. John Millman at the U.S. Open in 2018, Tsitsipas at the Australian Open in 2019, before Tsitsipas had done much really. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov at the U.S. Open in 2019, humid nights where Federer just looked a little underpowered in all of those matches. And I was thinking, wow, this feels like those matches. Um, and I thought the main difference was that when Federer was tired in this match, uh, he never got too loose. You know, he never, he never let his level level dip too far to a point where he was really giving Kepfer, uh, Kep, Kopfer, Kepfer, sorry, free games. So I thought that was the key for him is the, the mental focus, even when he was tired, because I think he was, he still didn't play that badly. And then when he needed it at the five alls and in the big moments, third set tie break, he could have that spurt of energy and he raised his level. But it was, it, but it was craft. It was craftiness. You know, it was craftiness. It wasn't something like raw power and he yeah. needs, yeah. What we see is that he needs, he needs thin air. And he was talking about the information he was getting. Chilich. He got the information of, of just his own experience because he, this guy's played 10 times. So he knows all he needs to know about Schultz. You get a lot of, you get different information when you play someone you've never played before. And it's, his, and it's your second longer match. So, so that's going to be interesting to see what Federer got from it, how his body feels. I mean, he, he left his press conference at two in the morning. So he's not going to sleep till probably like 3.30 or four. And so Sunday, I don't know, you even have a hit. You got to play Berrettini on Monday. That's going to be really interesting. Well, there's some noise that, and, and I, I think this is overblown a little bit, but there was a not out of the realm of possibility statement in the post-match that Federer said that it's a remote possibility or whatever, however he phrased it, that he could potentially withdraw. No, wait, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you exactly what he said. Okay, do it. He didn't take it. We go through these matches, you know, we analyze them highly. And we look on what's next and we'll do the same tonight and tomorrow latest because I need to decide if I keep on playing or not, or is it not too much risk at this moment to keep on pushing? Or is this just a perfect way to just take a rest? Because I don't have the week. I don't have the week in between here and Holly like normal to see like what's, what's uh, best now. If you count back from Wimbledon and so forth, it's just a lot going on, but having a match like this, knowing I could have probably played a fifth set, but not knowing how I'll wake up tomorrow is interesting to say the least. Yes, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a different time right now for me. Uh, did you guys did you guys meet me at the United Nations this evening? Was that a United Nations <laughs> statement about something? Not? Yes. So oh, Roger, please do not treat this tournament as your warm-up. It's a grand slam. You know, if you could possibly Today. play, please play. He told well, you he let, does. Let's see what he does. Yeah, exactly. No, I tonight was all I needed to see. He he's right. He can't win this tournament. When he said before the tournament, I'm not going to win it. Uh, tonight was all I needed to see. He, he's correct. 
Like he doesn't have it. It's not going to happen. It, it's too many players that, that he would need to go through. So um, I, I don't think, I, I don't know. Look, I, I'm never going to say, really, I'm never going to be pro withdraw. I'm, I'm never going to be pro yeah. withdraw. I'm never going to go there, but I, I get it. Like it, it's not, it's like, what are we doing here at a certain point? But I think he should, you know, uh, there's a term in combat sports going out on your shield, which is not the best because when you get brain trauma involved, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, yeah, yeah, it's not great, Stick with but tennis. it is, I'm sorry, but it is a term in combat sports where a fighter will want to go out on their shield, which means they don't want the referee to step in too early. They'd rather get knocked out to go out on their shield. And this is kind of, uh, I think a good analogy for the decision that Federer will have to make. Does he want to go out on a shield? Well, but it's also then what the game is about because then it becomes this kind of pragmatism. And that's the thing that's always interesting for Federer. I mean, has he, I believe he's never retired in a match in a match itself. So this would be then the calculated, but it's like, you know, we're going to, I mean, it's going to be interesting of all people. And, and again, he said all along that this is intended as a tune-up. And of course he probably almost like, surprised himself uh, it would be interesting if this had gone to a fifth set because then we're out here yet another hour 90 minutes who even knows two hours now you guys know that i have the utmost respect for roger freaking federer but i don't believe in entering a tournament and talking this way like i'm not gonna win i'm using it as a warm-up you know i might withdraw it, it's just to me it's then give your spot to somebody else you know, well, I, I just, I don't, I don't like it. Um, I'm do bringing, think, I'm bringing what, what if you salt. ask Ben? I'm bringing the salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, but but what if you asked Ricardus Barankis if, if he was going to win the French? Well, that's different. He goes out and just does what he hopes can be as good as he can. So he's not thinking... He's not, you know, that's but a he deserves point. a spot, but he deserves a spot in the he tournament. Earned a spot. He's earned a spot. That's right. So he earned a spot to see where he can go. That's always an interesting thing. I've asked players, what do you, how do you manage your career once you realize you're probably not going to win a major, you know, and you're in sort of a, a 30 through 60 realm. And you, well, you keep playing because you enjoy it. And, and it's not, it's about competing and seeing what happens. So that's kind of becomes the attitude. But then you're right. If you're Federer and you've, been to the finals five times and won it and you've won 20 majors what's going on here i guess i guess we'll all have to see what's to come it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see how better wakes up sunday yeah, and his absolutely. knee and his body i i do think the berrettini match will be um if he does decide to play it'll be quite different and I, I said that the, I thought the Kepfer match would be tough because the guy just doesn't quit. And that turned out to be true. Berrettini is a type of player that Federer has seen a million times before. Big serve, big forehand, um, not as uh, adept on the backhand side. I think somehow he'll know how to absorb his pace and um, I see this either going one way or the other, but I don't see this long protracted match like there was. Well, here's the thing. I, this Okay, great point. Again, Berrettini, Fernando Gonzalez kind of in a way played like that. You know, the big forehand, the managed the backhand. So yeah, Federer knows the style. Federer's beaten them the two times they've played. Uh, but so I think, I think scheduling and court assignment, I, 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 I bet you Federer won't play at night. 
I bet you that won't be a night match. Well, they've been taking turns with that. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm. Would it be Federer's turn to play in the morning? Or Are the in women going to take a turn? Do the women take oh, turns? Yeah, Serena played at night, so there right. might be something with that. But I, I don't think they're, they're not going to put on. None of these guys is going to play at eleven. I don't think, and I don't think Federer wants that. But I don't think Federer. It'll be interesting to see what the jockeying around scheduling is. It's like. Can I go second, please, instead of having to sit all day? Can I go second after first woman's match? I mean, they, they never do what I think they should do, but I would just keep the big three out of the night matches from here on out. Well, that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But I think in the meantime, the, um, the, I wouldn't be – let's see, Federer, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to get to play second Monday. Let me play right. second after a woman's match. And that means I know I'm going to get on fairly quick and I'm going to get off fairly quick. Don't make me play third where I'm going to the men's match before me and I got to wait. I mean, it's fascinating when I've talked with players, men and women, about waiting for a men's match to end before yours. Uh, you think it's over. The guy's up two sets to one and four one. Got to get on the court in 10 minutes. Oh, it's set. And, and you got to wait. Let's move on to Rafa Nadal's next match. It'll be against Yannick Sinner, um, youngest player in the top 100, someone who Rafa knows very well. We discussed this match even in the preview. I mean, this we kind of had a feeling that this might be it and that this might um, be one of Nadal's stiffest tests in his entire route to the semifinal. Uh, they've played twice before. Uh, Rafa won seven, five, six, four this year in Rome, really good match. And then, uh, last year at Roland Garros, Yannick Sinner served for the first set, ended up losing in three. But when you looked back at the tournament, nobody got closer to taking a set off of Rafa. Nobody got closer than Yannick Sinner. So, um, Amy, why do you think Nadal has so much difficulty against the young Italian, despite total sets, let's put in, <laughs> put it in perspective. Yeah. Five, zero Nadal. I actually don't think wrong question to ask because I, I don't think that he has much problem with him because I, I'm working on a story right now on Nadal. Hopefully it's going to run on Monday. And I was looking at that match pretty closely and um, you know, just beneath what happened, you can see that Nadal really did dominate him. And I don't think that six months or however long it's been is enough of a, um, a growing up for Yannick Sinner to be able to win this match. I'd agree that I don't think he can win it, but I think as far as the competing thing goes, Nadal, if ever his statement about not underestimating someone is true, is genuine, as opposed to some of the ways that Rafa would say that about each of us too. But when it comes <laughs> to Sinner, when it comes to Sinner, I mean, this guy is the shape of things to come. I mean, this is a teenager who's made his way up the ranks and he's learns from each time. I mean, it's going to be not, he's not likely going to do worse. He's going to do better each time with Nadal and Nadal knows that. So Sinner has some of the contemporary tools that can work against Nadal because he can hit hard and flat and really force him with depth. And so we'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't like picking outcomes of matches. So I was just, okay, Nadal's, I think he's going to win whatever. But he's going to push him and and test him. And so I think that it'll be an yeah. interesting barometer of Sinner. What do you make of this matchup, Gil? Uh, I think if you look at seeds, let's say 10 through 20, Yannick Sinner 
is Rafa's toughest match. I, I don't mean seeds 10 through 20. Like it's just, it's difficult for him. Now, again, it's, uh, it's not Tsitsipas. It's not Djokovic. It's not Zverev, right? It's not. So yes, it's a level down from there and Nadal should win. But uh, I think Sinner's backhand will be the best backhand in it. I think it has a chance to be the best offensive backhand in the history of the sport. I don't know if he'll ever defend it like Djokovic or trade it like Djokovic. I think it will be as a weapon, the best two-hander offensively in the history of the sport. And I think Nadal with his cross-court forehand has a real weapon to deal with. I think it makes it very difficult. I think the the best thing for Nadal about playing Yannick Sinner is that the serve is basically going to be neutralized. So for Sinner to beat Nadal, he needs to beat him by winning neutral baseline rallies, which is such a difficult task. Hello, Robin Soderling. I mean, anyways, that's that's so much the template. You know, two people have beaten him. One was Novak doing what Novak does, and that's known. But Soderling was kind of the otherworldly experience. You know, it's like for the rest of you guys. Here's your model. Here's your template. And Soderling, of course, did it that day with big forehands and big serves and all of that. So uh, it'll be, it'll be, of course, interesting to see. I'm, I'm intrigued to see Sinner, though. Uh, I mean, I, I guess of those three Italians that we talked about, Berrettini, we talked about Sinner. Now, if we may, I want to talk about uh, the, of the three Italians, the one I like Let's most watching play is, uh, is Musetti. He's the one I'm, I personally most enjoy watching of those three. I don't know what, what you guys think. Well, why? Why? Just tell us why. I think I like, I think it's kind of got a bit of that slash and dash quality. I like the backhand. I like the way he, he's kind of got this energy. He's got this moxie. He's willing to take some cuts. Um, not quite as physical as Berrettini. You know, Berrettini's got more of the, the, the big, the, the tight end fullback. Yes, it's an American football reference. I made it. But he is, uh, he's much, uh, there's something kind of a little lightning-like about uh, Musetti that I enjoy. Yeah, he moves incredibly well. And um, I think that it, it will represent something that he hasn't seen yet. But um, I, I don't also anticipate a tough one there. Could be wrong. First meeting between those two. Musetti's had a nice clay court season, but I, I also think that He's beaten a lot of of names that that sound really great, but then some of them, they just they just don't play. Uh, they they don't love the clay. One would be his first round opponent, uh, David Gaffan. He doesn't hate the clay, by the way, but it's just a good matchup um, for Massetti, in my opinion. He beat uh, Hubert Hurkacz. He hates clay. Uh, FAA, who's been totally erratic, uh, and then earlier hardcore season, he beat Grigor Dimitrov and Diego Schwartzman. Um, in Acapulco. So he's had some good wins, nothing close to the level of Novak Djokovic, and he's playing really, really great. But yeah, Musetti's electrifying. If I may, though, uh, Musetti, he beat, um, he beat on Saturday. He beat in five sets. He beat Cecanato, who recall, who does Cecanato have a win over? Djokovic. Djokovic. This is the Novak, this is the Novak, uh, you know, kind of lacuna phase. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just be like a, like a club player and say, Hey, Lorenzo, you've got an indirect over Novak. See, you've yeah, Joel, uh, yeah. <laughs> he won, he won Wimbledon like a month later, three weeks later. Was so Wimbledon he wasn't that bad. I know, but Novak was close. I'm telling you, uh, I think Cecanato played a great match. I also think, Amy, what do you think? I bet Novak was rooting for Cecanato so he could take another crack. 
Yeah, knowing Novak, um, he would. Uh, I, I, as a Djokovic fan, I wanted Chekinato out of there. So, <laughs> but Novak <laughs> himself probably wanted another crack at him. I think so. Um, Musetti, you guys, would you say that his preferred surface is clay? He's a by good by a million miles, actually. Okay. I think okay. I think he I think he's going to really struggle on the other surfaces for a bit. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I, I could see that, but I think he likes he's comfortable with the moving. And Novak spoke very well of him. I mean, they they practiced, they know each other. He says, "I really like how he plays. He's got a lot of firepower for both forehand and backhand. He can play with a lot of spin. He's got great feel. Comes to the net. He can play short balls, drop shots. Yeah, I think I think of these three Italians. He's to me the most uh, eclectic as of now. Yep. The, the most the most uh, variations in style and we'll have to see, or will he be completely cowed by it all and just be too Novak? But uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the one I'm most looking forward to watching actually. You can see it maybe playing out as a kind of match that uh, has some electrifying points and Musetti really gets the crowd going. Hopefully it won't be the night match. Um, but, but it's straight sets safe bet. I think that they play some great points and I agree with Amy though. I, I also, um, would think straight sets. I think Novak's class compared to anything that Musetti's seen so far. And there, there are holes, like there are big holes. There are great things, but there are holes. I think Novak's going to just, you know, expose them a little bit. Well, the shot maker player, the shot maker, you don't want to be known in, as a shot maker. You want to be known as a consistent yeah. player who hits big shots. I mean, the early Fetter was known somewhat as a shot maker, and you don't want to be known as a shot maker because that implies a certain streaky inconsistency. You just want to be known as someone who's really good and moves well. Yeah, and we say he's still forming. He's still in his former yes. stages. So it's, I'm going to yeah. predict 80% or higher, Novak first serve points one. That's my <laughs> prediction. On okay. trend. Uh, yes, All right. yes. That's a good call. That, that's that's the call. All right. Let's see. Uh, big three versus the Italians. As always, uh, we will be looking forward to the matches and then we will record another one of these after the matches. So that'll do it for this episode of three. Uh, remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment on YouTube if you'd like and make sure to like the video. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.